you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. Let's pray. Our Father, once again, we express how grateful we are that you have been pleased to bring us to this, your house, to a place in which the name of your son, the Lord Jesus, is being proclaimed. And we pray that while we are here, that your Holy Spirit will be at work to give us ears that hear, to give us eyes that see, to give us hearts that will embrace and believe the word of God. That in this time, we might have dealings with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. That you will be pleased to lift your word out of its sacred pages and make it a living reality in our lives. That you will speak with a voice that wake the dead and let your people hear. So we ask our Father, have mercy upon us and visit us this hour so that the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus, will be honored and glorified because we ask in his precious name. Amen. Now, have you ever asked yourself the question, in the 21st century, what is the greatest danger that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ faces? Is it the proliferation of false religion? Or is it the rise of uh, doctrinally unsound preachers? Or is it the rise of uh, liberals who have begun to say things that are strange? about gender, for instance. Is that the greatest danger that we face? 
I want to propose to you that according to the Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest danger that we face as a church, as a body of the Lord Jesus Christ in the 21st century is the danger of hypocrisy. Spiritual hypocrisy. I don't know about you, but uh, there are many individuals, uh, some of them you can find their studies or findings on the internet, who have tried to ask non-Christians why they do not attend church. I commend that question to you. You should be able to ask your neighbors uh, just out of curiosity to find out, you know, is there a particular reason why you don't go to church? And I bet you that one of the perhaps top five reasons that they are going to give you as to the reason why they do not want to come to church is that the church is full of hypocrites. That is the reason uh, they will give to you. Now, there's a sense in which uh, perhaps although they say that they themselves might actually be guilty of hypocrisy, uh, but they are very quick to say uh, the church is full of hypocrites. And, and, you know, it's sad to say that is true. Uh, how can we deny that in the, in the light, for instance, of the sex scandals that we have been reading about for a couple of years now in the Roman Catholic Church uh, of uh, priests who have been living a double life. They, on a Sunday morning, would stand in the pulpit to tell people about the things of God and then they would go and molest children. And uh, if you think about it, I wonder why they didn't run mad. How do they answer their own consciences for that sort of behavior? Uh, perhaps we shouldn't just point fingers to those who are far there. I think that... Uh, that kind of behavior is all too common regardless of the denomination in which you find yourself. But what is interesting is that our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, one would have expected that when he came into this world that his best friends were going to be the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders of Israel. Unfortunately, 
the record that we have in the New Testament, that it seems like he reserved his harshest criticisms for this group of people. And the passage that we have come to today, this morning, is one in which the Lord Jesus Christ, with double barrels, he aims straight at the Pharisees to denounce them for their hypocrisy. And there are a number of points that I want to call your attention to this morning as we approach this passage. First of all, we notice that there is a Pharisee who invites the Lord Jesus Christ for a meal. And I must say that that's a commendable thing even for a Pharisee to do. Uh, we are not told clearly what his motivation was, uh, but from the passage that we have read, it is possible that uh, he may have been looking for an occasion to attack, to condemn, and to speak ill of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here it is, we are told that the Pharisee invited the Lord Jesus Christ to dine with him. And uh, it's very difficult to imagine how this particular appointment went. But it appears like it, it went downhill pretty quickly because it just took the first sort of moments in which uh, they started that, that meal and uh, we are told there in verse 38, the Pharisee was astonished. He was surprised. He was taken aback. It's possible he may have gasped when he saw that the Lord Jesus Christ did not first wash before. Now, perhaps uh, this might be a good opportunity for us to address the children. Uh, I don't want any of you children when you go home to say, you know, mommy, I don't want to wash my hands because in the morning I checked they were preaching that the Lord Jesus Christ did not wash his hands. That would be a tragic misunderstanding of the passage. So, you children, when you go home before you have your meal, if mommy says go and wash your hands, please, please go and wash your hands. Especially if you've been playing outside with those spiders and uh, all those little things that uh, interest or you know, cause the curiosity of the children. Please go and wash your hands with soap. And then go and take your meal. Now, we need to emphasize here that the reason why the Pharisee gasped, the reason why he was astonished, the reason why he was surprised, was not because 
of hygiene. That's not the reason. The, the reason was because he assumed that the Lord Jesus Christ being a holy man did not go through this ritual to ceremonially clean himself. So this got nothing to do with hygiene. It's got everything to do with your standing before God. And as far as the Pharisees were concerned, if you didn't do this, then you were ceremonially unclean. Because you were ceremonially unclean, you were not right before God. That, that's the point here. That's the issue that uh, the Pharisee had against Christ. He is surprised that if this man is from God, if this man is a holy man, if this man is in fact the Messiah, then he should be behaving like us. And he should be washing his hands before he touches any food because he is ceremonially unclean and therefore his standing before God is in doubt. It's in question. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ felt that he needed to explain very clearly, in no uncertain terms, what true religion is all about. How to be right with God and what it is that is important before the Lord. And in verse 39, we are told here that the Lord Jesus answered this man and said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. And with that statement, the Lord Jesus Christ wanted to say four things about the character of hypocrisy. Religious hypocrisy. Spiritual hypocrisy. And the very first thing that he wanted the Pharisee to understand is that you are guilty of hypocrisy if you are more concerned about the outward more than you are concerned about the inward. That you are guilty of hypocrisy if in your life you are more concerned about outward appearances than you are concerned about inward godliness. That you are guilty of hypocrisy if you are concerned about what other human beings think about you than you are concerned about what God thinks about your own heart and mind. 
so the Lord Jesus Christ did not hold back. And he said, if you want to know true godliness, the emphasis must be inward, with the heart. The emphasis must be in that place that no other human eye can see except God and yourself. That is what will show whether you are truly, genuinely, sincerely concerned about God or not. You know, as human beings, it is so easy to practice religion the way we wear our clothes on Sunday. Dress up nicely and behave nicely and talk nicely. Use religious language. What about your heart? Is there a genuine love for the Lord Jesus Christ? Is there to use the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount, a hungering and thirsting after righteousness in your heart? Is there a true contrition at the thought of the fact that you have sinned against a holy and sovereign majesty? Is there a concern a mourning because of your own sinfulness. The Lord Jesus Christ pronounced a blessing. He says, blessed are those who mourn. Mourning because they have become aware of the fact that their hearts have defected against the righteous and living God. And so they mourn. They are deeply affected that there is something within them that causes to sin against a God who is good, only good, always good to them. That, according to Jesus, is the antidote against the attitude of the Pharisees. True, inward, godliness in your own heart. Remember the word of God to the prophet Samuel. That man looks on the outward. But God looks at your heart. God looks at your desires. God looks at your thoughts. It was Martin Lloyd-Jones who said, suppose God came to you and said he was going to publish your thoughts for the last seven days. 
and sell that book to everybody. Would you be happy? Or would you be terrified? Because you know that your heart is far from God. That you are just play acting. That you are just putting on a show. That this is not what you truly are. In your heart, you are full of greed, the Lord Jesus Christ said to them. In your heart, you are full of wickedness. But then you have this facade before people. You have this act, this elaborate act to show. You're a godly person. So there's a sense in which when the people of the world look at us, there's a sense in which that charge can stick. (coughs) That charge can stick. We have men and women who are preoccupied with the outside at the neglect of inward godliness. But then secondly, the Lord Jesus Christ tells us in verse 42 the second idea that shows us guilty of uh, hypocrisy is what he says in verse 42. Woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe, mint, and rue, and every herb, and neglect justice, the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. We are guilty of hypocrisy if we are more concerned about the minor things of Christianity at the neglect of the real important issues of biblical Christianity. And the Lord Jesus Christ makes it clear that the reason for true Christianity is love for God and love for your neighbor. And that love for your neighbor will be seen in the fact that you are just in your dealings with your neighbor. I have given that example before. But if right here where you are seated, you got a text message or a message somehow to tell you your house is on fire. And then you quickly excuse yourself to rush there because it's an emergency. And as you just drive out on Woodruff Road, 
you get another notification that tells you, oh, no, actually, it's not your house. It's your neighbor's. Will you, what a relief, turn back and come back and continue to worship? Or you will continue because the Bible says, love yourself as you love your neighbor. And the Lord Jesus says, those are the more important issues than giving tithe of your herbs. In fact, the real motivation for your tithing must not be because you are scrupulous in your religion. You are fastidious in your religion. It must be because you love God. You recognize that everything else that you have comes from God. And God may be pleased to take it away from you any time. Remember the Bible says, God loves a cheerful giver. And if you find that you are struggling when you are giving to God, there is a tightness in you. There is a reluctance in you. You have a problem. But though you might give, it is not out of a heart that loves freely, is thankful to God to be God's steward and to give back because God has loved me and done so much more that everything that I own, I must hold it loosely in case God requires it so that I am ready to give. But more importantly than giving your tithe, God wants your heart. God wants you to love him more than you love any gift that he could have ever given you. That is biblical Christianity. That is true religion. You love God. You love your neighbor. You are just in your dealing with your neighbor because you want to worship God, to glorify God. And so the Lord Jesus Christ puts the emphasis where it really belongs. And we are hypocrites if we are concerned about the minor things and are not concerned about the major things of religion. But then thirdly, we are guilty of hypocrisy if in our practice of the Christian faith we crave the attention of other people more than we do the attention of God. 
And you notice that this is what the Lord Jesus Christ says in verse 43. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you. And every time that the Lord Jesus Christ uses that word war, it should get yours and my attention. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is giving a most serious warning. He's basically saying to you, if you do not amend your ways in this area, then you will be damned. That's what that word war is there for. And the Pharisees were experts at what we call ostentation. They wanted to be acknowledged as the most godly, the most holy. That is why he says there that they loved the best seats in the synagogues. Why? So that everybody can see them and acknowledge them and applaud them. That, that is what was motivating them. Are you offended if you do something for the church and nobody recognizes you? Are you? It's not possible for us to know. But God knows your heart. The person who you do something for the church, you are very keen that people should come and pat you on the back. Well done. This is what it means to be godly in a Reformed Baptist church. And you are offended if no one mentions it. If that is true of you, you are guilty of hypocrisy. You know, the Western world is built on the principle of competition. And there's a sense in which unconsciously we bring that spirit into the church. I'm the one who gives the most in the church. I'm the one with the most behaved children in the church. I'm the one who did this and we are offended if we are not recognized. So rather than leaving coram deo before the face of God, we are preoccupied with what human beings think, what human beings say about us. I'm not saying if you do a good job, we should not commend you. We should. The point here is craving. Craving, doing something because you want somebody to commend you. That is not only worldly, it is hypocrisy in the church. 
when you serve God, serve God because you genuinely love God. Because you want to glorify God. And even if no one says anything about it, God who sees in secret, he will bless you. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ says elsewhere. Live before God, not before men. And that tendency, that, that temptation to want to have people commend you, say nice things about you, that can be a real temptation to people. And so, my beloved brothers and sisters, I warn you, you will be guilty of hypocrisy if you are not living before the eye of God. The all-seeing eye. See, the New Testament is not just concerned about what we do to serve God. The New Testament is even more concerned about the motive why we do the things we do to serve. It is good that you came for worship this morning. The question is why? Why did you come? Did you come because you thought if I don't come, somebody's going to call me and say, why didn't you come today? <laughs> is that the only reason why you came? Is there a real love, sincere love for God and his word? Are you like David who said, I was glad, very glad when they say to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And if all you are doing is craving the attention of men, you are not only pharisaical, you are a hypocrite. And then finally, in verse 44, the Lord Jesus Christ gives them that war. <clears throat> war to you, for you are like unmarked graves that people walk all over them without knowing it. Now, it's helpful to remember the Old Testament in order for us to understand that. So in the Old Testament, the Jews were forbidden to come in contact with a grave. Because if you come in contact with a grave, you will be unclean, and you need to go through this whole process to become clean, and it would last seven solid days. So as a result of that, what they began to do to help people not to come in contact with the grave was to mark them so that it is clearly marked usually with something white that you can see this is a grave I do not want to come in contact with it because I will become unclean 
And so what the Lord Jesus Christ is therefore saying to these Pharisees is that you, they have bad influence over their hearers and their hearers do not even know it. And he compared it to somebody who comes in contact with an unmarked grave and he lives without realizing he is unclean. The Lord Jesus Christ is saying that this is the result of hypocrisy. That even when people come in contact with you, you will influence them negatively because of your own hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is deadly, not only to yourself, it is deadly because it negatively influences everybody who listens to you or comes in contact with you. And that is why it's absolutely vital that we as professing Christians seek to live a sincere and wholesome walk with Christ because our spiritual fingerprints will be upon everything we touch. And in the day of judgment, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes to judge us, he is going to show you how people were negatively influenced because of your hypocrisy. How your family members were negatively affected because of your hypocrisy. How church members were stumbled because of your hypocrisy. And so he warns people. Your prayer, based on this particular passage, must be, God, whatever it is you want to do in my life, whatever it is that you give me or deny me, please, oh God, don't let me be a hypocrite. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Save me from myself so that I might not end up in the last day to have been a hypocrite all along. May God plant such a desire in the heart of every person listening to me this morning. Before I came to Arizona, I had the opportunity to live in England. 
for about 10 years. One of the things that you will find in England are churches where there are no people. And there are so many of them. Wherever you go, you will find them. Some of them have been turned into business houses. But there are still many churches. People just tell you the history. Oh, the last time people met here was probably 1915. They preserve the buildings uh, just as tourist sites that, you know, history that they can tell you about. Now, that, that's not true only in England. It's true across Europe. Uh, do you know how that came about? It came about because of the rise of liberalism. The time when it became fashionable for men who were in the ministry to say, you know, we are too sophisticated to believe the entire Bible. We are too sophisticated to believe in these miracles. We are too sophisticated to believe in things like Adam and Eve. Or to believe in things like the virgin birth. We live in a scientific age. We have men who have gone to the moon. So we, we just can't take the Bible wholesome. So... There was a time when the greatest enemies of the church were actually in the church and preaching every Sunday. And at the end of the day, churches closed down. That is what hypocrisy We thank God for wherever in the world where true religion has been preserved. It is a work of God entirely. The future of this particular congregation will be because there are no hypocrites in this congregation. If we are hypocrites, it's only a matter of time. Our hypocrisy will catch up with us and those doors will be closed. And so this is an extremely important matter. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ was as candid, was as frank as he was on this occasion. I don't know how the meal went. It's difficult to imagine in this sort of environment if they even ate the food. 
But such was his concern for the truth that the Lord Jesus Christ was so concerned about the souls of his men, he needed to tell them the truth. My friends, this is the reason why God sent a deliverer. Because at the end of the day, we are all born hypocrites. That is why we need a savior. That is why God gave his law to us. That law comes to expose that wickedness, that greed that naturally resides in our hearts. That law is meant to lead us to the end of ourselves, to acknowledge nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked I come to thee for dress. Helpless I look to thee for grace. Save me now, or I am doomed. That is what the Bible calls repentance and faith. You acknowledge your own hypocrisy, your own wicked and sinful heart, and cry to Jesus for mercy, for pardon and for cleansing. And you know what? The good news is that the Lord Jesus Christ will answer that prayer. Amen. That he will send his Holy Spirit who will come and transform you from the inside out and make you a brand new person in Jesus Christ Savior. <laughs> Do you remember Saul of Tarsus, that persecutor of the church? The Bible says he was full of hatred against Christians. And he was determined that he was going to stamp out Christianity from the land of Israel. And then one day, as he is on his journey to go and carry out his vendetta against Christian while he was busy insulting the Lord Jesus Christ while he was busy fighting against God the Lord Jesus Christ met him and showed him the amazing grace completely transformed him from the inside out. And it was said of him, he who once sought to destroy our faith, he is now busy preaching that faith. No longer a hypocrite, a transformed man by the grace of God. And he says in one passage, not only am I willing to suffer for Jesus, if need be, ready to die for him. 
What changed? What made the difference? It is the Holy Spirit who came and transformed this man and in spite of himself, he came into the kingdom. God was pleased to make him willing in the day of his power and made him a true child of God. That is what we mean by grace. And that grace, dear friends, is still available to all of us who are here this morning. And the good news, call upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your entire household. May God grant that all who hear my voice this morning might be transformed and delivered from hypocrisy and live henceforth for the glory and honor and praise of Jesus Christ our Savior and Redeemer. Amen. Let's pray.